Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. I can't believe I'm about to say this sentence. Today's guest is Kevin Rowland of Dexys. That's right, Dexys Midnight Runners. Dexys, Gino, come on Eileen, Jackie Wilson, seven days too long. Oh, so many good records, such a good band, so unique. I mean, we talk, we talk about all of this, and um, obviously we we talk about the the hugeness of Come On Eileen, and you know how did that feel finishing writing that? Was you aware that you know forty years later you're still going to be you know being played at every possible knees up? It's such an anthem, and and for long time listeners, you'll know that we've often discussed that record, and 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 what an incredible you know, arrangement it is. There's so much goes on in that record. Um he's such a delight as well. Um you may pick up I know I've done hundreds and hundreds of these episodes, but I was nervous doing doing this today. Um he's a real, real hero and I've just finished recording it and what a delight. You're in for a treat. He's such a such a dude and, and such a kind guy. Um picks some great records as well and Honestly, go check out that new Dexys record. Um, yeah, if you want just Dexys, classic Dexys mixed with soul, just fantastic. And it's a concept as well, this record. And, you know, it tells the story, um, which I won't say anymore because but because Kevin talks about it. Um, but, yeah, anyway, uh, so that's all coming up in a mo. But I have to do some thank yous first. Um, shout out to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, thank you to the team at Blue Murder Club uh, who produced this podcast. Uh, Blue Murder Club's an amazing true crime podcast. I urge you to go and check. Um, big thanks to you lot for supporting this podcast. Um, it really does um, mean a lot that you know we're over 500 episodes and, and you're still here, and, uh, and the audience is growing, which is, is, is a joyful thing. Uh, so I thank you all. If you're new to the podcast, you've just... Uh, You've head over for the first time to check out this episode. Hello. Um, as mentioned, you're well late to this party. Um, lots of episodes available. When you finish today's uh, Ace Chat with Kevin, go and explore the back catalogue because um, well, former Dexy's uh, keyboardist, Mick Talbot, uh, also of uh, the Style Council and, and later Gene, um, we've had Mick on. Uh, had a wonderful chat with him. Um, we have had, blimey, we've had Madness on. Uh, we've had UB40 on, and uh, and and right the way through to big rock stars like the Foo Fighters and Motley Crue. I've had some fantastic acting talent on, um, from the likes of David Duchovny through to Maxine Peake, 
to Thomas Turgoose, um, fantastic comedy guests, um, the comedians James Acaster, Maisie Adam, Ed Gamble, uh, they've all been on, and who else have I missed out? DJs and producers, um, I think we mentioned Mark Moore on this episode of S-Express, had a lovely chat with Mark on here, uh, we talk rave days, so yeah, we've had a Adamski on, we've had 808 State on, and uh, right the way through to other huge dance producers like Fatboy Slim, um, hip-hop acts like uh, I've had Chuck D from Public Enemy on. Go, I'm, I'm waffling now, but just go and have a look in the archive because there's over 500 episodes with all of your favourite pop stars um, and, and just ace creatives, really, um, from all genres. So go go get stuck into that at the end of today's episode. Um, you can support this podcast. Um Obviously, this is a free podcast, but um, there's lots of ways in which you can support it. The easiest and cheapest is to just tell your friends about it um, or give us a follow on Twitter, uh, Instagram or Facebook. Probably, I'd say Instagram's the, the most active. And uh, and also, there's a thing called Patreon, um, which is uh, it's kind of like a little crowdfunder thing. And I'm fully aware that we're in a bit of a shitstorm in the UK at the moment, you know, as you know, financially, and and so I've kept it to about seventy pence a month. It's a dollar, uh, and for that seventy p, uh, you get to watch all the episodes. If you want to watch my chat with Kevin, go over to Patreon, and you can watch all of the back catalogue episodes. And there's loads and loads of radio shows that I do uh, that you can go and listen to. Um, and once a month, it's actually tonight, actually, the day I'm recording this, we've got it tonight. Um, tonight we're going to meet up and we do an online live show. Um, and tonight we're talking about all of our favourite album artworks. And there's a lovely little gang of people that are just listeners like you that um, that signed up and, and paid a dollar a month. And they come along, they get their free ticket to the online live show. And, and it's not a elitist indie schmindy cool thing it's just a load of lovely people all getting together just to talk about well tonight great record sleeves and and, and memories attached to them and we change the question each month and we'd love to see more of you there um and there's there's a lot of patrons that support this podcast and i haven't seen you all there yet so uh, if you're listening pop along uh, we're a friendly bunch uh, and so you get all of that um for uh, for your 70 pence a month there's a video telling you all about it. So if you head over to patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track, um, there'll be a little video in my head telling you all about it. Um, you can find out about Patreon, social media, back catalogues and everything at the website, which is off the beat and beat and not beaten off the beat and track podcast.com. Right. I think that's all the pre-show waffle. Now we're going to get on to uh, the proper chat. And uh, this gives me great pleasure to say please enjoy today's episode of Off the Beat and Track Podcast with Kevin Rowland of Dexys. It's Off the Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Stu. How's it going? Oh, I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? All right. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Lovely to meet you, mate, and appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, Kevin, have you got your songs to hand? Do you remember what you chose for your song picks for this? Let me just find them uh, on the email. Yep. 
Oh, wonderful. I'll, I'll just kind of ask you for them as we, as we work our way through the chat, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Wonderful. Right. Are you all right if we jump straight in then? Yeah, is that the order you want them in? The order of you've asked the questions, the order I've, I've answered them, yeah? Yes, please. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. Cool. Right. Let's do this. Recording in progress. Okay, we are recording. Kevin, how are you today? Yeah, not at all bad, Stu. How's it going? Good. Good, mate. Um, well, look, before we uh, before we do anything, let's just kick straight off and uh, and, and, and do the, 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 the track that, that we start things with. And I want you to tell me, please, Kevin, the track that you regard as having the greatest ever intro. Well, it's got the greatest intro for me because it just lifts me. Every time I hear that intro, I'm just, I can't help but want to dance, you know. And the song is Tell Me What You Want by Jimmy Ruffin. What a record. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about how you come to sort of hear that. Because, and also, I want to ask you as well, when it comes to songwriting and and and, and sort of the, 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 the kind of soul influences that, that are, are, you know, that are present in, in, in Dexy's music over the years, so much of that, that kind of sort of early soul music is so instant. Like, you know, if you look at Motown, Stacks and stuff like that, the, the intros are so instant, like the Jimmy Ruffin track. It just makes you want to dance, with, with, you know, yeah. in an instant. And, and and I'm intrigued to know, like, how... if Because if you look at the way that people consume their music now, certainly younger audiences are now looking at apps and Spotify playlists where attention spans seem to be getting shorter... Does any of them kind of ways that the industry, you know, has, has changed? Does any of that filter through? It's a long-winded question. Is I'm getting there, and I hope you you, you understand where I'm going with it, Kevin. Sorry, mate. But all of these sort of like changes in like people listening to music on TikTok and these super fast, you know, um, uh, attention spans. Does any of that filter through? into your creative process when you're writing a song? I don't think it does, but I think we've always had a good edit button, you know? Yeah. Like uh, in music, in writing music, it should never get boring. You know, you've got to keep the momentum up or go down or change the mood sure. and then bring it back. You know, you've got to have dynamics in a track. So, and you've got to have a great intro and, you know, you know, you can't. What does it say? Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Yeah. You know, that's unless you've really got something good that's going on. I mean, Eileen, for example, to use, to use an old example, took a good while to get to the chorus. And of course, the other thing is that's got a long instrumental intro. Radio wouldn't play that now a lot yeah. of the time. You know what I mean? They just wouldn't. But those intros were hooky. The way we looked at it, it was a musical hook. It wasn't a vocal hook, but it was a musical hook. So. No, I think the principles of just don't bore people, you know, keep it interesting. Doesn't matter if it's a short track or a long track, it's mm. got to be interesting. Um, those principles still hold true. Um, yeah, and I, we're probably the opposite way. What we've done is we've written an album, the new album, The Feminine Divine. It's actually an album, it's got a narrative. It starts with track one and then it tells a story till the end of the album. Each song. It's part of the story, a narrative, a journey of a guy, 
starts off really macho. And then he says, well, that's not really who I am. And then he, he looks at his relationship with women and he gets into a relationship and that plays out on the album. So we're going the opposite way. You know, we just, we're, we're not working in short tracks or whatever. We've made an album that is an album to be listened yeah. to in one place. But if people choose to just pick a track here, fair enough, you know. Well, in regards to what you just said there, like people pick a track. Um, I love what you said there that, you know, there's a concept to the album and it is to be listened to as a, as a body of work. Yeah. Do you think that that is something that you know, if if you're starting, you know, to, to to form bands now, you approach that in maybe a different way? Do you think it is more about the single and and the album as a as a as a sort of form of media seems to be? I don't know. I, I grew up just devouring record sleeves and, and wanting to hear, you know, what's going on. I wanted to hear the album from start to finish. You know, do do you think that is something that? seems to be getting lost maybe uh, i i don't really know i i just do what we just do what we do that yeah. just seemed like the right thing to do we didn't even plan it to be a concept album it was more the um after a while i just looked at the songs i'm like hang on a minute looked at the list and i thought if we put that one first that one second this one this tells a story yeah. so i just went with it yeah. Um, didn't even start off like it just turned out that was serendipity. Um, I really don't know, but um, we're very lucky that you know, times have changed a lot, and uh, you know, we were the small label, very good label, working really hard, really believing the album, and they're getting the music to people that are interested in it. Yeah, so you know. Um, we're going to find out. I don't know what the sales yeah. are yet, but it's going to be released in 10 days' time. So yeah. let's see what happens, you know. But Absolutely. They, they're telling me it's going well. So let's see. Fantastic. I'm going to take <laughs> you back. And for track two, Kevin, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah. I mean, I loved, you know, silly little songs before that. But when I was about seven or eight, I heard Elvis singing Can't Help Falling in Love With You. And I was just blown away by just how beautiful his voice was. And, and as I look back now, and I wasn't conscious of what it was, but the arrangement was so, so perfect, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to ask you to sort of pinpoint the emotion that you got, what would it have been? Well, that's tough. It was a long time ago. <laughs> um, well, I just moved, just moved, you know, just... A little bit sad because it's a sad, although it's a beautiful song, it's quite a sad song. And it probably, you know, made me probably feel a little bit tearful, I would yeah. say, because I, you know, it just was so beautiful. That still resonates today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Elvis. Yeah. What, what a talent. Yeah. Well, look, we're sort of looking back now. And so, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how that was? Sure. I um, was born in Wolverhampton. Apart from a couple of years in Ireland, I lived in Wolverhampton until I was just 11. And then we moved to northwest London, uh, Wembley, Harrow, mainly Harrow. And uh, that's where I grew up, right? Fond memories? Some of them. Yeah. Some of them, you know. Yeah, you know, there's worse places to grow up, but it was, it was you know, it was lively. Yeah. Lively around there. Everyone thinks Harrow. They think of Harrow on the Hill. Yeah, that's quite different. Yeah, very different. Yeah, very different. Down on the, very different. 
And um, yeah, it was all right. You know, I didn't like school or anything. I found it all the pressure and I couldn't wait. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Believe, really. What didn't, I mean, we'll talk about, well, let's, let's, let's uh, discuss that then because I want to know um, about the song that reminds you of your time at school and then let's, let's talk a little about uh, school. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was sort of um, 12 or 13 when, Concrete and Clay by Unit 4 Plus 2 came out. And I think I was probably having my first little romance over the park, you know, so getting into kind of love, love songs. Um, I'd moved from 11, from Wolverhampton at 11 and I had a broad Wolverhampton accent, you know, and that was a bit of a, you know, that was a subject for mirth from some of the kids. Got quite a lot of teasing about that. So I had to be a cockney pretty quickly. Um, but I still supported the Wolves. And um, whenever they'd play in London, i go and watch them. But, um, you know, I had this sort of little girlfriend over the park and, uh, you know, and it was sweet. It wasn't just, you know, it felt like, a, you know, sort of very, very young sort of love, really, 12, 13. And, um, and that song, Concrete and Clay, just seemed to sum up how I felt. I mean, hearing music like that and, and, and talking about Elvis and hearing that at such a young age was... Was home a musical place? Was, was, was you know, was there records on at home growing up? Not that many. We didn't. We didn't really. We. I think we had a record player from the age of about eleven. Before that, we had this thing. I think it was called a. Uh, I don't know what it was called now. Something that sort of played records, but. Um, yeah, my brother Pete was very interested in music, and my sisters were interested in music, but. Parents didn't really buy a lot of records, but then as we got a little bit older, they started to go out. 
and then they bring their on a Friday or a Saturday night, and then they bring their friends home after they've been out for a drink, most of whom were Irish, and there'd be a lot of singing. There'd be a lot of singing of songs. So I heard all these great Irish songs, which I'd never heard before. I heard them sung a cappella and actually really well. Yeah. My daughters who were working on building sites or whatever, you know, or women who were married to them. And uh, then I would try and trace down records and find them. And quite often the versions weren't as good as the original ones I'd heard. I suppose you always like the original, you know. Of course. Yeah. But there you go. So you... it was sometimes musical, sometimes not. Anyway. Had you found your voice at that point? Was you singing along? No, not really. I didn't. I don't think I really sang. No, I did when I was. Funny thing with me, I think I sort of sang probably up till I was about twelve, and I think the puberty thing happened. Do you know what I mean? And after that, I just thought, oh, I don't know about that, and I didn't like my voice. There was a guy when I was about fourteen. He was in a band. And he had a guitar. And we're looking for a singer. Do you want to have a go? I went, yeah, I'll have a go. And then I got around his house and he plugged in the microphone and he plugged in his guitar in the amp and all of that. And I started singing and the vo the sound that came out, I hated it. He went, I said, no, no, I can't. He went, it sounds okay. Can't. I went, no, 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 I can't. I can't. And that was that. Was you, so, was, you, was you a confident lad though? Just, you know, someone say, come and sing. You went, yeah. And like to, to do that, well, a lot of people bravado. have swerved that. It was bravado. I think I was just sort of, um, it was bluster. And then when I got to it, when I got in his act and we turned the mic on, I thought, well, okay, now I've got to do something. That's when I froze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, just to touch on school a little bit more, you know, you said yeah. you didn't like that. What was it you didn't like about school? Well, I wasn't that good at it. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wasn't that academic. And my dad, he was in with the priest at the school and he got me, it was, I found out later, keeping me in the top stream, which I wasn't up to really. I should have been in a lower stream. And um, the teachers didn't want me in that stream. They wanted me in the lower stream. My dad was trying to keep me there. I don't know why. And, um, yeah, I just didn't like it, really. You know, all the discipline and there was a lot of caning and, in them days. And I seemed to, to get that quite a lot. Um, a lot of bullying going on. It was a tough place. Yeah. Must have been the same for you, no? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. School was school was shit. Hated it. Yeah, and yeah, and understand. and had. I mean, I remember going to the careers officer, and they said, "Like, what do you want to do?" And then I had to tick box this thing, which basically, where I live in in Essex, it was like, right, you go and work at Fords, and that was it. And and I was like, I want to be a musician, and like yeah. they literally just would blatantly just say, "Well, that's not going to happen," and and. Did you have any idea what you wanted to do when when you was at school? I think I think I um, did at the primary school. I was always singing songs in the primary school, and you know, I mean, I didn't have any fear then, really. You know, if the teacher would say, "Someone come up and sing a song," I'd just jump up. But uh, as I got into secondary school, I think my confidence went really, and puberty, and then leaving school, and I just thought, "Well, it's like you." I don't know if anybody said it to me, but they they if they didn't say it to me, they said it to me in different ways. It just seemed completely unrealistic. It's just impossible. It's not going to happen. You know, you just better get yourself a normal job, a good job. And um, so I tried all of that. And then I was very lucky. My brother, Pete, was in a working men's club band at weekends. And he got me in the band when I was about 21. And I just started then doing a few backing vocals with him, playing guitar. Not that well. And then um, I started writing a couple of songs. And then I just thought one day I was going to form a band. 
I want to ask you a little bit about when, when, when you formed the band because um, looking at the timeline of, of, of the sort of, and I'm talking Dexies here, um, around the time that sort of, you know, you, you, you broke through and, and you know, you, you, you had the, you know, with Gino, you also had UB40 coming through at the, you know, early, early moments of UB40 and the specials. And, and one thing that, it seemed to me, you know, madness, you know, further down south as well. And one thing that really struck me about all of the, the aforementioned bands, they all looked like gangs. They looked like they were a gang. And, you know, well, you dressed like you was a gang with the donkey jackets <laughs> and that, they, you know, you looked like a, a proper firm. And yeah. was that a conscious decision to style oh. the band and, and, and look like a, a brotherhood? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, we were very into the way we looked. We still are, you know. And uh, oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to. We, we, we worked hard at all of that. Yeah. I want to ask you about um, something. As 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 for most people of our, our, our generations and such, we grew up in the you know the the place where you got to, you know pre internet, the place where you got to see pop stars was once a week on, on top of the pops that was where you could see them you know you, you there was no other ways to to watch and, and get to see what these you know amazing people look like can you remember the time when you first got told you was going to be on top of the pops and can you tell me about your experience of going on top of the pops and did it deliver what you expected um yeah i do remember they said, look, there's a chance you might be on top of the pops this week. So, you know, make sure you're, uh, you know, you're around. I was like, make sure I'm around. Don't worry about that. I've grown up. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I'd loved it all my life, you know? Um, so, you know, when they told us, I was like, wow, but I, I, I was nervous, you know, but so we, we, we had to do the recording the night before the audio recording we did that the night before. And then we we're all practicing how we're going to come over on the, in the studio, you know, uh, on the stage, we practiced a few stage movements and then, um, you know, we got there on the day and I'm thinking, wow, this is where Roxy music were Bowie, you know, so many bands that I've loved. And, um, and I didn't feel that nervous. And then we came to do it. And for the first 20 seconds or so, I think, oh, this is it. no problem. This is going okay. And then I'm singing the first couple of lines, no problem. And then I thought, there's 10 million people watching me now. <laughs> and that was it. That's the my wrong head... time to start thinking that, Kevin. <laughs> oh, mate. That was it. My head just went. And then it was over. Just like that. It yeah. was over. It just seemed to be in seconds. As soon as I started thinking... I wasn't present. I was just in the head, and I was yeah. just, is it? It was just gone. It was just so quick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so weird because <clears throat> the reality I imagine for for a young up and coming band is, you know, you do your top of the pops, maybe you have a few drinks in the bar afterwards, and then it's you know back home or whatever. But to to the outsiders, you presume that these bands, you know, they're on top of the pops. They they walk out of that studio into a gold limousine and they go back to, like, their million-pound mansions. Like, it, you know, and I'll tell you what, I want to touch on something as well that you said. You said that um, your confidence went a little bit halfway through when you realised the enormity of the audience. 
and and you know the aforementioned uh, Roxy and Bowie and stuff like that. Over the years, you know, you've had crazy levels of success, and you've been on stages with all all manner of legends. And do you ever experience imposter syndrome at all? Totally, totally, all the time. Still now. Still now, terrible. Yeah. Even when we're doing interviews and things like that, when you're talking, I'm thinking, I don't deserve this. You know, really, that's always there. Yeah. Really? To that level? Because... Not always. Yeah. But, I mean, it's been here today doing yeah. this, definitely. I, think, I don't deserve this, really. You know. Um, yeah, and sometimes I get get free from it, and then it's great. Yeah. I feel great. But quite a lot of the time, absolutely. I think it's healthy to have some of it, definitely. I think you'd be a bit of a narcissist if you didn't have any imposter syndrome and you just thought, you know, everywhere you went, you totally owned it. I think that would be a bit worrying. I think it's normal to have an an element of it, I think. Yeah, I've probably got too much, though, too much anxiety, really. But, you know, I just, to be honest, to be perfectly honest, I feel I've been very lucky. I've had some great songwriting partners. Without them, you wouldn't have heard of me. Kevin Archer, Jim Patterson, you know, wrote some great stuff with them. Yeah, yeah. Tell me the first record you remember buying from a record shop, please, Kevin. Well, yeah, I was telling you that the first song that made a big impact on me was Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. And I think it was 1962, I was eight. And um, I used to, I wanted that for my birthday. And I used to go down the shop. It was like a, um, like a kind of a hardware shop. They sold like Hoovers and all sorts of stuff. But they had the top 10 singles yeah. in a rack. And I'd gone down there and I saw that kind of only was number one and they, they had a couple in stock. I thought, great, when I get my birthday money in a couple of days' time, I'm going down there. Of course, or got down there, it was gone. And I think the, the second or third record was Whim Away by, by Carl Denver. Um, and I wasn't that mad on it, but I didn't want to go home empty-handed, so yeah. I bought that. <laughs> my dad said when I got home, what would you buy that for? Not even English. Can't even understand the words. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, when I, when I got the songs uh, that you've chosen today, uh, yeah, I went back and, and and listened to them all again, and I hadn't heard that Cold Denver track for a long, long time. And his voice is insane, isn't it? Yeah, true. It's a it's a yeah. absolutely fantastically cracker's voice. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Really, really hits them notes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit because you, you said something really sweet there. In, in, insofar as you you could completely re, you know recollect that that journey there to go and buy Elvis, it wasn't there. Two days I get my birthday money, I get to go back. Do you think that them kind of um, relationships with music and that kind of journey attached to it is maybe lost in the kind of digital age? Um, I suppose it is. I suppose it is. Yeah, it, it is. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, I think people, young people have a different relationship with music now. Mm. And, I, and I think that's all right. I, I kind of like it, really. Mm. Um, you know, I haven't got a record player or a CD player. Mm. You know, I go on Spotify or whatever, and I quite like it, really. Absolutely. Like, like, there's no right or wrong answer to that. Like... No, no. I, I think it's probably, I think it's all right. But it's certainly, it's certainly been lost. But having said that, 
vinyl's come back in a big way now, hasn't it? It has, yeah, it has. Um, one of the things that I do think is lost to a degree is 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 the artwork, the album artwork, where I think you know people talk about iconic covers, and most of them iconic covers that people discuss are from fifteen, twenty mm. years and, and before that, yeah. because yeah. now it is a you know, a little thing on your phone or whatever or, or on your laptop. And I do think that's that's something that's lost a little bit. Yeah, true. Well we've tried to do it with this album. We've we've got um for the feminine divine we've got like um a really p- picture I really like. Uh we wanted a picture of a goddess and uh Mike from our band found this picture which is a um, a picture of a goddess called Pele who's a hawaiian god of fire goddess of fire and volcanoes so uh, once i saw that picture i was just like wow that's got to be the album cover so so i'm into that you know what i mean i'm into what i'm into and i don't know people make of it what they will you know yeah absolutely, absolutely. yeah tell me about the song that soundtrack your years clubbing please kevin sure um and like a lot of people, I got into Acid House about 88, you know, yeah. when all that was kicking off in London, early 88, mid 88. And um, it was mind blowing. Yeah. I went to a club called The Shum. Ah, oh, fantastic. Did you go? I was a little bit yeah. too young. I was about 16 yeah. then. But, um, yeah. but yeah, Mark Moore DJing at that point. Mark Moore was DJing. Don't remember him DJing there, but he was he was he was around. Yeah. Big that was Danny Rampling's club. Danny Rampling, and Jeff of course, yeah. They ran that club, and it was four hundred people. It was a little fitness center. Yeah, and I think that's where all the Lucasade came from because Lucasade became a thing, didn't it? Of course. And because that was a gym, so they had they were selling Lucasade because a lot of weightlifters used to drink that. Um, but it was just mind blowing, you know. It was just so different, and it was just amazing. And that's the song. Whenever I hear that keyboard riff, da, 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 da. Yeah. just you're right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Back to it, you know. Absolutely. Could you could you sort of draw the the sort of parallels to the, 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 the sort of the influences of, of, of sort of the DIY thing that would have happened in 77 in, in, in punk and things like that. Could you see that with Acid House where the fact it was, it had gone completely underground was very against the system and it was people making music on drum machines and, and, and sequences and stuff. Could you sort of draw them sort of, that correlation between it, that sort of punk ethos of DIY? Yeah. and Yeah, totally, totally. Except if anything, I'd say this was better than punk. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It was just a great, because it was, just like, the music was better really a lot of it you know i mean there was some great punk tracks as well but this was just it was sexy you know um and of course you know he was a big part of that yeah 
and the, and it opened everybody up to the music. I probably wouldn't have been open to Acid House without yeah. dropping an E, you know, and then it it just opened everybody. It changed everything. Yeah. It changed everything. I can remember, like, being in a club in 87, and uh, everybody was standing around posing in their clothes and their Gautier clothes or whatever. And if anybody sort of knocked into you, it could could we could go the, go wrong you know yeah. it could quite really go wrong you know if you bumped into the wrong guy yeah six months later you know in an acid house club same guy you bump into him sorry man it's okay man you're okay it'll be like that yeah it's changed you know yeah need more of that <laughs> we need more of that i mean there were stories there were stories of well true stories of like um I think it might have been Arsenal's top boy and West Ham's top boy meeting, whereas they would normally have been at each other. They were yeah. hugging each other, you know. Yeah. It's an amazing time. Yeah. The government don't want that kind of, uh, that sort of stuff happening, do they? They need to shut that down. And it was, yeah, I, I think it's... You think the government don't, against all that, yeah? I, I think, right, you know, acid-ass culture and, and, and the fact that people were you know, putting on raves and people were coming together. I don't think the yeah. government were in, into that. Certainly not. I mean, they... Well, the... They did their best to stop it, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. They'd done the Criminal Justice Act. They brought that in, didn't they? And, uh, yeah. yeah, it was uh, just a real shame. I think that was, you know, real coming together of people and, and, and peaceful as well. And I, I, I think, like, if yeah. that's not controlled by the government, they didn't like that. And you're right you're right you know that when i was even in brighton in the 90s or something and i was talking to a cabbie and he just said the ravers are no problem whatsoever yeah he said they're never a problem they're fine when they're on e yeah it was the boozers they were worried about I, I i'll be honest i've been a i've been a club promoter for 30 years and okay. and i don't think any, any problem i've ever seen in a club is because of drinking and uh, and and yeah, any time I've gone, you know, to, to to big raves where you know there's been other things available, mm. never seen a problem. You know, there seems to be a lot of love in that room, and uh, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, and a lot of and and that creates that absolute deep love of of, of the music as well. And I think uh, yeah, I think that's brought everybody together, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you look at what that sort of up until that point, that whole kind of Thatcher yuppie, you know, everybody's wearing, you, you know, kind of suits and ties to go dancing in, and and all of a sudden people were just wearing shorts and t-shirts and and just really letting themselves go. And yeah, what a beautiful it's amazing. time! It was amazing. Now you're thinking about it, it's making me want to go back there. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, <Yeah, I> can't. <laughs> was great. Someone get Kevin a flight to Ibiza. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to take you back uh, to your home county and I'm going to ask you, please, uh, for track six, for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Yeah. There was a band. Um, I was living in Harrow, as I said, from the age of 11, and I had like a um, paraffin round, delivering paraffin around the houses and uh, on my old trace bike, at least having them days. And... Um, one of the places we used to deliver was the O'Malley families, uh, family, and um, and they were always really nice. And I, m I remember here, I don't know how, but I got to hear that the older brother, Tony, was in a band. And he was in a band, first of all, called Arrival. And they had a hit with a track called Friends about 1971. And then 
two years later, I moved to Birmingham and I heard this band on the radio called Kokomo. Heard this track called Anytime. And I thought, wow, that's a great track. So funky. Who's that? And I found out it was Kokomo. So I bought the album and I loved it. And then I looked on the sleeve and I thought, hang on a minute. That's Tony O'Malley. So uh, I was really delighted to see that he was in the band, you know, and I've met him a couple of times since. Oh, lovely. Yeah. We always have a joke about me delivering the paraffin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I, I asked you a little bit earlier um, uh, about, you know, confidence. Um, and you, you, you've, you, you've managed to maintain, you know, a, 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 a fantastic level of success in one of the most difficult industries, you know, in the world, which is, you know, the recording industry. Tell me about how driven you are. Well, I think in the past I was too driven. I, um, you know, like from about 78 to about 85, 86, I was just so driven. I burnt myself out, really. So I needed to kind of, you know, step back. But, um, yeah, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot less driven now. You know, I mean, I still want, I want to do well. I want to make good music. It's number one. I want it to look good. You know, the look, the photos, the video, whatever, want the artwork. And I want it to do well. And I want it to sell. I want people to hear it. You know, there's no point making music just to, for me. Absolutely. As far as I'm, I'm a bit of a show off, I suppose. I want people to, to like it and appreciate it. Uh, so I'm quite driven, but not like I was. You know, I've, I've worked at chilling out, really. Because, um, you know, the trouble with that passion, it can burn you out if you're not careful. Do, do you think that initially, you know, establishing Dexies and... and you know, being very driven. Do you think a band needs a, you know, a leader and somebody that has that vision and that that drive? Probably. I think they probably do. Because I used to think that, you know, I foolishly believe that if you're, if you're good, you'll be successful. You know what I mean? I just thought you're going to get discovered or whatever. And then... And then I realised that's not true. I've not, I've known lots of really talented people who haven't been yeah. successful in the right place, right time. But I do find that if you do things right, you kind of attract. You seem to attract good energy towards you. You know, yeah. if you you focus on the music and really work at it and make sure you're happy with it, kind of people come to you. You know, when you're kind of trying to push too hard for everything, make everything happen, it doesn't really happen. You know, um, but you do need somebody who's got a vision yeah definitely who can see where this can go you you totally need that and has got ideas about how to get there you need that yeah i want to talk about eileen a little bit and i know you're probably sick to death of talking about that song but it's an you know i've interviewed maybe 600 people for this podcast and that song's come up so many times and and it has you know so many people have such a special relationship to that song and and you almost sort of touched on it a little bit earlier that it's it's a, such a complex arrangement and song, and it's just hook, then another hook, then another hook, and it's just in my in my opinion one of the greatest pop records ever made. And and I want to know when you was in the studio and you'd finished recording that track, did you know that you'd struck gold there? Did you know that that was something ridiculously special? No, I thought it was good. 
and I thought it would do well, but I remember there was two mixes of it, and the other one wasn't as good. Oh, really? Yeah, and the record company pressed the other one up first, and then I got to hear it. You pressed the wrong one. You put the wrong one. All right, all right, all right. Well, we'll still sell them. There was a, they've done a thousand or whatever it was, yeah. or a few thousand. But we'll do a new one, and you know we'll give that to the radio. And it's like, yeah, okay. Um, but we were under a lot of pressure. I did think it was good when we were writing it. I thought, wow, this is really special. Um, we've had other ones like that, but you know, we definitely thought that one was going to be special. Uh, could be had the potential to be because you just don't know. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, if your record does, if you can make a great record, but if it doesn't get played. Yeah, in those days, that was it, mate. Yeah, if one didn't like it. Forget it. Yeah, you were in trouble. So, um, so, and we were under pressure. The last couple of singles had flopped, so the record label were like, you know, they didn't want to release it. They wanted to release Jackie Wilson said, which is on the album. Yeah, and uh, luckily Brad, the plugger, said to them, "Look, this is the one." The radio plugger, and um, you know, and uh, yeah. So, you know, I thought it has got the potential, but it wasn't, I suppose, until after the Top of the Pops. I think it got about number 30-odd, and we got on Top of the Pops, and then it just jumped to 12, and I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. It's going somewhere. What's the relationship with that song, you know, now, you know, in, in you know, look back at so many people have had so many different life experiences that are attached to that record, like... You know, can you? What, what's your relationship with it now? I don't really have a relationship with it. Honestly, don't. Except, you know, to be honest, business relationship with it. Sure. I'm grateful for the money. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I had no idea that that would, you know, be such a thing when we were writing it. You know what I mean? For yeah. years to come. And we didn't even know that there's more money in songwriting than there is in recording. We didn't even know that. We just someone's got to write songs we need songs so me and kevin archer me and jim just wrote them because we needed them yeah some of the other band didn't want to so he just did it um so now it doesn't belong to me anymore in that way yeah the experience doesn't belong to me it's other people's you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah but but, but we're grateful right this is the point where um you get to to tell somebody about a, a record that uh, they've probably uh, not heard before, and it's for the last track. It's a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to go and listen to. Please, Kevin. Yeah, it's the live version of "Caravan" by Van Morrison from the album "It's Too Late to Stop Now," and it's just such a groove. Yeah. Just such a groove. They were on a, you know, he did a he did a recorded version, which is pretty good. But this one is just on another level. Yeah. They, the band were just so working with each other and he's really singing his heart out. It's just something else. Yeah, it's a wonderful record. I'd not heard the live version until today and uh, I was okay. stuck on this morning. This uh, It's a real gem, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Another one that just doesn't fail to lift me yeah. from the intro. And then into it. Great. Well, look, we've been talking um, about sort of mu music from the past and, and other people's music. Let's talk about what's happening right now with Dexys. So, new album's about to drop. Yep, new album's about to drop next week. Wow, let's come around quick. And 
we start rehearsing for the tour next week. Um, and we're we're doing quite a lot of big cities um, in England. Then we're going to Europe, and then we're going to the US. Um, and um, the show is the first half of the... We're playing theatres. It's a theatrical performance. The first half of the show is the whole new album from start to finish in sequence, and we're going to act it out as well as uh, play the music. We're going to, yeah, theatrically perform it. And then there's an interval, then we do the old stuff. Fantastic. I uh, I look forward to it. Um, I have my ticket. I'm going to Southend on Sea. You're playing just up the road. Are you coming to Southend, yeah? So, uh, yeah, so I look forward to that. And, uh, and, um, and so, tour, album, there's, there's a single, well, there's, there's tracks available from the new record at the moment on Spotify, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Three. Superb. Well, Kevin, we put together a, a, a playlist to accompany the podcast on Spotify for all of the tracks that you've picked. And obviously we put some of the, the new music um, from, from Dexys on there as well so people can uh, right. can go and listen. Um, if people want to keep up to speed with tour dates, releases and everything, where's the best place to, to stay up to date with all things Dexys? Um, it's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and it's Dexys Official. Fantastic! If it's all right with you, when this comes out, we'll uh, we'll tag you in it so people can go and follow you if they're not doing so already. Oh, Kevin, honestly, when when I got the email saying that um, there was an opportunity to talk to you, I I bit their arm off. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. Bless it really you, has. Bless you, man. Uh, I wish you all the best with the record, and you, uh, and I look forward to seeing you in South End, mate. Yeah, thanks, you. Absolute pleasure. I'm going to press yeah. stop. Don't go anywhere. Just met one of my heroes, didn't I? Just met Kevin Rowland at Dexys. Had a good old chat. Not only do you like, that's how bloody lucky I've been doing this podcast. You get to meet people that you grew up absolutely, you know, wide-eyed and uh, in awe of. And not only do I get to say hello, I get to do my favourite thing, which is just chat about records with them. And you definitely would have noticed that I was nervous today. And uh, I should also point out that if you're not a patron and you're not watching this, Kevin looked fucking cool. He looks so cool. And uh, he always looks cool. I mean, go and check out all the photos for the, the new record. Um, just looks so sharp. And, uh, and yeah, interesting to hear him talking about, you know, the, 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 the thought process that went into, you know, that initial gang-like image of the donkey jackets and that and the the woolly hats and 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 just looking like a, a proper gang and uh and that's what certainly drew me to, to to dexies um okay well look as mentioned um there's hundreds and hundreds of episodes all available for free wherever you get your podcasts so go give them a listen please tell your friends about it um subscribe i really would like reviews if you go on to wherever you get your podcasts uh apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever just give us a little review because um, it helps get the word out with these algorithm things apparently um, and I'd love to see you at one of the live shows on, on Zoom um, over on the, the Patreon and uh, and all of these things you can access via the website offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com I'm back next time in the meantime um, be nice to each other love you lots bye bye <laughs>